1: egotistical or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today, we are talking about getting things done, making shift happen through attention, intention, and action. And my first guest today has written about this and more. You might know her book, Multipliers. There's a new edition of it, revised and updated, how the best leaders make everyone smarter. Liz Weissman is a researcher and executive advisor who teaches leaderships, sorry, start over again. Liz Wiseman is a researcher and executive advisor who teaches leadership to executives around the world. She is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter, The Multiplier Effect. Tapping the Genius Inside Our Schools, and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work. She is the CEO of the Weissman Group, a leadership research and development firm headquartered in Silicon Valley, California.
2: Welcome, Liz. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be there, and I love that the Happiness Broadcast is out of Malibu, California. It just makes me happy thinking
0: of you there.
1: Yes, it is my happy place. The beach is my happy place. So I'm very grateful I get to I get to do my thing from here. Mm, nice. Let's let's talk about the changing landscape of management and
2: leadership. Well, I think the fundamental role of leader has has shifted, and I think it's primarily shifted because we now work in an environment where there's too much for any one person to know. There's um You know, change is things are happening so fast that often we don't even face the same problem twice. And it means that a job of a leader isn't to have the answers. It's not to think up ideas and then get other people to do them. The job of the leader has changed. And it's now about how, you know, it's not what you know. It's how effectively you can access what other people know that leaders need to become the multipliers to the intelligence of others. Um, That it's a job of the leader to get everybody thinking and and acting. And, you know, it's interesting, I think what I found, because in essence, Lisa, what I do is I study intelligence and how well leaders use the intelligence of people around them. And I think I could sum up a lot of what I found is that um, the way to people's hearts, because I know this show is all about heart, the way to people's hearts is through their minds. Like we want to be smart and we want to be used and the best leaders really use the intelligence of others.
1: Yeah, they're not micromanaging. They're not holding on to the control of the reins. But yes, they're overseeing them, but they're not holding on control.
2: Right. They're directing the efforts of others. And it's not like hippie leadership, which is like, hey, you know, just come in, do what you want, you know, <laughs> think, be free, you know, it, it's not this sort of hippie naked kind of form of leadership. It's, it's directing the capabilities of others. But, you know, it's interesting, I found that we are not only at our best around these kind of leaders, we're really at are at our most um, joyful around these leaders, people say, working for these, um, what I call diminishing leaders, leaders who tend to do all the thinking for the team and other people tend to shrink around them. They hold back, they play it safe, they give a fraction of their capability. I found it was l- less than half of their intelligence. As people describe working for diminishing leaders as frustrating and exhausting, but working for these, these leaders that I call multipliers, these leaders that just bring out the very best in us, they describe it as, and I think this is important, and it's really important to, I think, what you, you define as authentic happiness, is people describe working for them as a little bit exhausting, but totally exhilarating. Yes. And I actually think it's this combination of really, really hard work that's actually um, joyful and exhilarating. It's like a great workout where you're tired, but you feel totally energized yeah. yeah. Like spent, and
1: like well spent at the, at the end of the day,
2: you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we want to be spent, Um, you know, people don't necessarily want to be used. I don't think anyone wants to be used, like kind of sort of used up and, and, and tossed aside, which is how so much of our workplace uses people. But, People want to be utilized, like deeply, deeply utilized. Um, like, can I like, take me out and drive me? Like, you know, put a lot of miles on this car. Um, I have a lot to contribute and I want to contribute. And I find that when people aren't being used at their fullest, that they, you know, this is where we get burnout. This is where we, you know, get resignation. Not, Not like I resigned my job, but more like I resigned myself. No. To to sort of a, a a life situation where I I am holding back. You've learned
1: a lot since Multipliers came out in 2010, and now there is a a new edition of it. Um, And you talk about the climate being very, very different. You know, In in seven pushing eight years, we were coming out of a recession in 2010. Mm -hmm. The way we do business, I think, has evolved quite a bit. I think technology and certainly digital technology has changed the way that many of us operate in our
2: businesses, especially smaller entrepreneurs well absolutely you know when when um, multiplier first came out, it hit this nerve, and it was really i think it was an economic nerve. It came at a time when so many people are trying to do more with less you know, we're coming off off the um you know tail end of layoffs and now we've got these huge demands, shrinking resources, and this idea that inside of our workplaces is a lot of latent, unused. Intelligence, and, and I mean, not only like the place we show up for work when we get paid, but inside of our schools and our volunteer organizations and our churches and and even our family structures is there's a lot of pent up resource and energy that most people are blind to. It was really an economic issue. And and I think now eight years hence, it's become more of a human issue and and in some ways it's a a, a legacy issue. You know, often I spend a little bit of my time running around the world convincing leaders to use the intelligence and capability of people around them, that it's good for them. It's good for the business. And there's this obvious economic advantage to doing this, but I really think it comes down to um, legacy. And, And as a leader, you know, and I, again, I mean a leader of a department at work, a leader in your home, uh, you know, a leader in your social community, like your presence with a group of people, like how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to get to the the end of your contribution, the end of your life and be remembered as um, a genius, you know, someone who had great ideas, uh, brought the ideas, brought the energy, solved the problems or Or do you want to be remembered as a genius maker, the kind of person around whom other people were at their best, around whom other people were brilliant and other people grew?
1: And I think this is really touches upon when we talk about happiness or one's happiness factor. This really strikes that chord
2: of how do you want to show up for life, you know? Yeah, it, it really does. Like, do you want to be the big personality that takes up all the space and be remembered as kind of um, a stellar individual? Or do you really want to be a leader? And and I actually find there's far more happiness in being the kind of person and the kind of leader around whom other people step up and contribute, um, that it not only creates a, a joyful situation for the people around you. I can tell you this: people hate working for diminishers. Like it doesn't take you know a researcher to to know that. But I'm like people hate this. They say like I mean I can't even. I'd have to use swear words to describe how people feel about these bosses. I mean I literally get people coming to me like almost like wanting a hitman service like it usually starts with hey liz could you maybe anonymously send your book to my boss and then you know 5 minutes into the conversation it's like hey just can you take this person out for me it's like they're they're miserable they 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 take energy and they create stress and anxiety like a whole host of terrible things happen around these diminishing leaders um so not only do these multipliers create a more joyful situation for the people that work for them, but it actually is a far more joyful way of working and leading. Well, joyful
1: uh, in working and leading and then just living life. You know, I think that if you look at how a leader operates in his or her organization or, or home, even home life, the CEO of a home It is a reflection of what's going on inside. So if you're not right with yourself, you know, and then it gets into sort of the the warm and fuzzy stuff. If you're not in a good place internally or you're compartmentalizing or walling off some other areas of your life that are not necessarily making you happy, it's going to show up there.
2: Well, it does. And, you know, I thought about my most joyful um, so I'm I'm a mom so I'm a researcher you know and an author and such my, my most important job of course is that of of mom I've got four kids and you know when I think about my most joyful experiences in life have all been in in the raising of my children and they're not the sweet moments it's not on vacation it's not that kind of like hugs and kisses or or these kind of gorgeous playful moments in the park All of my most joyful experiences are the sweet that comes out of really challenging experiences where I have been pushed, where I have, as a parent, as a mom, as a human, had to come to terms with the ugly, hard reality that my kids are not me, (laughs) that that I cannot live through them, that my job is to understand who they are as a person and that that is different than me. Liz,
1: we're going to need to jump off to a break. I had my eyes closed, <laughs> and I missed my marks. So let's jump <laughs> off to the break. The book we're talking about is the revised and updated edition of Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. The website is thewisemangroup.com. You can find Liz Wiseman on Twitter at Liz Wiseman and on Facebook, Multipliers Books. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back, and that is a promise.
0: We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back
1: to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, sharing is caring, and we're talking with Liz Wiseman about her revised and updated edition of Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. And Liz, we were booted to the break together because my eyes were closed as you were talking about being a mom and being a mom of four kids. I'm a mom of two kids. And I so got what you were saying about like the the, the best, most important moments come
2: from that role. You know, and it does. And, and they're not the sweet moments. It's, it's the hard fought moments where you realize that although you are, um, in charge, you're not really in charge. You're not really in control. And, you know, I think about, um, uh, 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 my daughter who's just uh, finished her second year of college had to make a really tough decision whether she was going to take an 18 month break from college and go serve uh, a mission and, you know, she was wrestling with this decision and, and when she finally kind of hit this, like sort of the nadir in this decision and she came back to me and she asked for my help on this. And I remember what she said. She said, mom, I really want your help on this because you never put pressure on me. Me and, and you know, it's like this is after twenty years of me learning how do you step back and realize that that your most influential position is not to try to exert influence, it's to understand someone and help guide someone to where they need to be, but not to to coerce or force or manipulate. And and it was one of these moments, it was one of this joyful moment to say, Yeah like, thank you for noticing. And, and boy, there's moments where I just wanted to put my thumb, like, like screws on this and, (laughs) and like, oh no, you're doing it wrong. Or, oh yeah, of course you should major in that. Or of course you should choose that college over that college. But, but like what happens when you, you take that pressure off and you just help someone discover who they are. Um, you know, the same with my son, who is this kind of like wildly adventurous, creative, brilliant thinker. But that's after years of me, like going, "Oh, God, he—he's a nonconformist. He's a problem maker. He's—he's oh, oh. he's dangerous. <laughs> he's destructive. He doesn't do things like he's supposed to." You know, everyone's going this direction, and this kid goes that direction, and learning to see. His mind just works differently than other people's minds. And 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 he is drawn to adventure. And, and rather than seeing him as this problem, I see him as this incredible problem solver. But this is hard fought. I mean, there's days where I'm like, I'm going to put this kid in the back of my car. I'm going to drive him to juvenile hall and let, let other people try to convince <laughs> him to follow the rules. And And it's learning to see other people's brilliance. And, and realize they're going to do it anyway. You might as well learn to appreciate it.
1: Yeah, well, certainly it's a lot more joyful and a lot less stress on on us as moms. But I think that this tracks, this very uh, philosophy or way of being tracks to the corporation. You know, that when you see... Um, the value and the, and the gifts of these individuals who are saying, you know, use me, I'm, I, I've shown up because I'm like, I'm buying what you're selling. I believe in this. And I do believe that that is the way to productivity, right? If you don't have people surrounding you that buy into what you're selling, then there's a real problem. They're showing up just for the money.
2: Right, and you realize as a boss that your job isn't to do the thinking, your job is to move work and problems and challenges to other people and get it to stay there. Your job is to to invite other people to step up and do the thinking and and when you realize like i I came as as leader like i I spent years I got thrown into management really, really early, so I got thrown in when I had no idea what I was doing, and you know made a lot of mistakes, but I spent years trying to get my employees to be like me, you know, like I, if I could just get more of me, you know, arms and legs, hands, <laughs> extensions, like, okay, how do I, how do I replicate my thinking and my capability and others? And you get to a point like where you realize that, that that's, it's not possible and it's not, it's not, um, it's not even healthy. It doesn't solve the problem and you reverse your logic and you start to look at your employees and rather than how do I get them to do it? this way or the right way or to do it like me it's like what is the unique genius that they each bring and Lisa I'm now old enough where I've realized that it's a lot easier to figure out what people are good at and put that to work than it is to try to figure out um, what work you need done and how to get people to be good at that like so I've I've surrendered to this idea that I'm just going to figure out what people are going to naturally do and what their minds are built to do. And I'm going to find a way to match that to the work that they need done. And it's amazing. Like anything is possible when people are working inside their native genius. It's just, um, it blows me away how productive people are, how willing people are, are to go above and beyond and, and do things that they weren't even asked to do. Um, it's its kind of a beautiful way of working. I, I'm sold on this idea. I I am too. And you know, as as you talk and I'm feeling the
1: enthusiasm, you know, with which you speak and convey the message, I'm thinking, okay, this woman is a crusader slash cheerleader for intellectual and social capital. I mean, that's how I describe you. That's it. That's how I my
2: label for you. And it is brilliant. I mean, that is a gift. Well, you know, I really, really believe that there is wasted intellect. And, you know, when you look at the problems we have and they seem insurmountable at times, sometimes they feel intractable. I just have to believe that we have the intelligence needed on this planet or in a particular community or in a school like we have the intelligence we need to solve those problems. What we need is we need community leaders and business leaders who can get access to it. Um, I, I think we're smart enough to solve our problems. Have you sent
1: copies to the white house?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm really serious.
2: Dear what? Mr. President, I have a yeah. thought. I have a thought <laughs> like we're, we're not idiots. Yeah. And, 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 and you know what it is sad is I think there are, and you know, I think this, observation holds true, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, we as a people, and I throw myself into this, um, we as a people are are currently operating under the assumption is that we are all idiots or that everyone else is an idiot but me. But you think about, just look at any Facebook feed, look at a comment stream on a post and look at the assumption that seems to underline so much of the, 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 the vitriol or even just the, the snarky or funny comments is we're operating under the assumption that, you know what, I'm surrounded by idiots. Yeah.
1: And,
2: and, 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 and it's and pretty not. easy to get poli- – we are not.
1: We are not.
2: We cannot be. And And, yeah, there are some things that look idiotic and there are some things that we are doing. Some of our behavior is idiotic, but we are intelligent. Like we're intelligent people. Like our country is built on intelligent decisions. And I think we need to recognize that that our neighbors and our neighbors who see things differently than us are actually smart, thoughtful human beings. And if we can get ourselves in a room and we can talk and maybe even lighten up a little bit and not take ourselves so seriously and be so worried about being offended that we could probably talk our way through some of these problems. Don't you think?
1: I I do. I mean, I think that the talking is is the key, but it's hard to talk when, you know, we've got folks that um, don't think it will do anything. And I, I, I'm willing to die trying. You know, I will talk and talk and talk, right. and, talk and talk and talk. And I think yeah. you will too.
2: But, <laughs> well, you know, it's one of the things I learned studying the best leaders is that they are listening not to not with this like active listening, not to placate people, appease people. They're listening to learn. Like what can the people around me teach me? And I think that's the kind of leadership we need at work. I think it's the kind of leadership we need in our communities. And and it's the kind of leadership we need at home. You know, um, I found that my best work is done as a parent when I am, Reminding that myself that I am sort of the adult in the equation. I have certain responsibilities as an adult, but that I have as much to learn from my children as I have to teach my children. Yeah. And I think when you operate on that assumption, you get these opportunities like, Mom, I need your help with this because I know you never put pressure on me. Meaning you're willing to sit and listen and learn with me and, and, and empathize with me and even mourn with me as I go through these challenges rather than just, well, oh, let me tell you what to do.
1: And there it is. Right. I mean, th- I think that's that's the experience that we all want. So, Liz, at the back of the book, I want to make sure we, we, we cover this before we end the segment at the back of the book um, in Appendix E. There are a bunch of tools that you provide. It's really a giveaway of a part of the core training of of multiplier leadership. Talk a little bit about what's there and other
2: areas that are new in the book. Yeah, you know, uh, I should probably start with why I did this new edition. The publisher wanted me to wait to the 10-year anniversary, but I said, you know what, we are learning so much about how to lead this way, and I want to put it in the book so people can have access to it. Now, in Appendix E, uh, which coincidentally stands for experiments, is I have put all the stuff that we cover in our workshop, little experiments in leadership, little things you can do to help you be a better leader at work um, in your communities and even in your homes. All of that is in there. And then I I added two new chapters to the book that deal with the two biggest issues people have. One is this realization that most of the diminishing that's happening at work and outside of work, most of it is not coming from these tyrannical narcissistic sort of crazy headed diminishers. Like we, we hate working with these people, but most of the diminishing is coming from really well-intended leaders, what I call the accidental diminisher. And uh, I did some additional research on this. There's a a chapter in there on about how we end up shutting down smart, capable people despite having really, really good intentions. If you are also a parent, you're going to want to read that chapter because it's really easy to end up diminishing our children out of love. Um. And then there's a chapter in there for for the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have contacted me and said, I, I really want to be a good leader, but I am stuck working for a diminisher. What do I do? And there's a chapter. I did a whole new research project on what are the most and least effective ways for dealing with diminishers and how do we end up raising sort of our game? And I'll give you a spoiler alert on that chapter, is that the best way to deal with a diminishing boss is um, to be a multiplier to them, to use their genius, yes. to ask them questions, to, to invite them in and to use their brilliance. It's amazing what will happen to that relationship. You'll find that when you invite them in, they actually give you more space. Well, that's what your daughter did, actually. <laughs> it really is. <laughs>
1: The book is the revised and updated edition of multipliers how the best leaders make everyone smarter and my smart and amazing guest has been its author Liz Wiseman to learn more please visit the group dot com on Twitter at Liz Wiseman and on Facebook multipliers books you are awesome come back and hang out with me seriously I would I would love to you make me happy well likewise thank you.
0: Thank you. Hey, here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, The glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download
1: and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, and it's available 24-7. We're talking about making shift happen through attention intention and action my next guest is doing just that he is hustling to make shift happen i'd like to welcome jay papazon as the co-author of the book the one The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results. Jay Papasan is the co-author of The One Thing, The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results. He's also a co-owner of a top-producing Austin-based real estate sales business, the Papasan Property Group, and also a partner in the private equity firm Keller Capital. Welcome,
3: Jay. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pleased to be here.
1: Oh, well, this this is great because I love sharing with people ways to get shift done.
3: I love that. That's almost a bumper sticker, right?
1: Almost. Shift happens. <laughs> shift happens. T- talk a little bit about the one thing and why you wrote the book and how it is helping others to do just that.
3: Sure. The book came out um, about four years ago, and um, we're really privileged. We just passed the Million copies Sold milestone. It's a uh, I, I, we didn't. We wanted that to happen, but didn't expect it. So the book is really about helping people in a simple, practical way identify their top priority and then do it. And I think today's world, with all the things that we can do and all the distractions calling for our attention, I think we just got lucky a little bit with the timing and presented a solution for people really struggling in a busy world. So that's the big idea: is how do we figure out our top priority? And the book came about just essentially. Gary and I have been writing partners for over 12 years. He wrote an essay called "The Power of One" for a course, and I've been in publishing for 20 years. And I was like, "This is a book, and it's not just a book. This is the recipe for all your success from where I stand." And if if your listeners don't know, Gary Keller built from scratch here in Austin what's now the number one real estate company in the world, um, and he's just you know done that through the, a vicious absolute, you know, concentration on always identifying the top priority and staying there longer than others. Talk
1: about the top priority, because as I see it, time is the most precious commodity that we have above money.
3: I I agree wholeheartedly. I tell our team all the time, we're in the business of time. We're in the business of giving people it back and helping them invest it more wisely. And we must never, ever waste our customers' time. So time is the essence here. And if people don't have a good approach for investing their time, then this book is probably a good solution for them. So what we want people to do is, you know, it's Pareto's principle, you know, the 80-20 rule, but it's kind of on steroids. Um, we have a question <laughs> at the center of the book. What's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary? And we've taken over 1,200 students in the last seven or eight months through a course and how to execute that. And in my experience, most people actually know their answer. It's not a big mystery. They're just too busy to ask it. And a lot of people get to the end of the day feeling guilty for not having done it. So the book just kind of creates a way for people to ask the question, identify their answer, and then actually execute through a process we call time blocking.
1: Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the, the ask of that question, because as you were speaking, I asked that question of myself. I'm like, what is the one thing that I could do today or any day that would help me be more productive? And it's put away the damn phone.
3: <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's that an email in my experience are the two number one distractors. Um, it took me great pains to figure out how to turn off all the notifications on my phone. You know, I'm working with a self-made billionaire and I have got small kids. I don't need little, you know, alerts going off on my phone telling me to feed the dinosaurs or something. And all (laughs) those little distractions really add up. There's tons of research on, you know, when someone says, I got a minute at work, it almost always translates to 30 minutes of lost focus and productivity. So little distractions add up. And so creating barriers to your email, right, which is just a time machine, you open it up, And you're in other people's priorities for the next three hours. And your phone, which is constantly calling for your attention, and that's been engineered by the best minds in the world at Google and Apple, right? They know how to get your attention. So just turning it off like you're in the movies is a great strategy.
1: You know, it's funny, you talk about, you know, that the, the, the uh, phones are being engineered to grab our attention. They're actually being engineered to, to brain hack us to get into our, our, our brainstem and hold us there, hold us hostage. So yes, let's let so let's go on now to time blocking. This is uh, the cornerstone of the book. And you talk about um, committing to doing one thing for a period of time. And it's beyond the two weeks that many of us learned when we were younger. Oh, you do this thing for two weeks and then it will become habit. No, 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 no. You're talking about a bigger commitment.
3: Yes, yes. So simply put, time blocking is making an appointment with yourself to do your most important work. And I love that. It's very simple, it's not simplistic but it's proven through research. Um, there was a group of researchers who published in the British Journal of Psychology that they had asked people to do 20 minutes of exercise daily. There was the control group and about 38% of them did it. There was a group called the motivation group and they were given a pamphlet on, you know, exercising for 20 minutes will help your heart, et cetera, et cetera. And about 35% of them did it. So essentially it's the same results for both groups. The other group, was asked to make a written intentional statement saying, on these days, at this time, at this place, I'll exercise. So essentially, you add up those elements. It's a calendar invite. When and where am I going to do this? And the simple act of navigating their time and making a plan for doing it made them 91% likely to do it. So it's nearly three times the effectiveness of that simple step of calendaring your commitment. And then we want people to do it for 66 days, Not two weeks, not 21 days or 30 days, which is what all the books say, though there was no hard research we could find to back it up. But we did talk to some researchers at the College of London and and the New College of London, and they had gotten people to take on new habits and followed them for a year asking two questions. Did you do it? And how hard was it? And they found on average that after 66 days, it got as easy as it was going to get. And that's when they declared the average amount of time for habit formation. So most people, when they're trying to do something new to make shift happen in their life, they let off the gas too early or they start something new too early. You need to stick with it longer than most people think.
1: Let's talk a little bit about that because oftentimes we'll, we'll embark on a project and then we do peter out, we run out of gas. And you know from everything that I've seen, read and done in my life and the clients that I work with, I find that we all quit too soon.
3: Well, I mean, that's there's like a million internet memes about that. You know, people stopping just short of success. Um, it's something that, you know, I know that my parents pushed hard for me. I think that some of the mechanisms that people can do, like giving 66 days gives someone a target. Yeah. Know, we have a free calendar that people can like start crossing off the days. It came from actually a Seinfeld story where he someone asked him how to become a comedian. And he just said, Write a joke every day and then start Xing off every day in your calendar that you write a joke and pretty soon you'll have a streak and it won't be about writing a joke. It'll be about keeping the streak going. And so we leverage that simple mechanism to help people get to 66 days. And the only thing I'll throw out there, 66 days is great to latch on. And the wisdom there, it's longer than you think, but it's also an average. So a lot of times I'll joke and say like, what's the average temperature in America today? And the audience will just kind of like, what? You know, like somebody will try to get on their Google <laughs> to find it. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I had the dress for Austin and you had to dress for L.A. today. Right. So averages are informative, but they don't apply to us and the unique shift we're trying to implement in our life. And so for a busy working mom who's holding down a job who's got to pick up the kids from school or handle the daycare, like there's a lot going on. So taking on a big shift in your behavior, tracking it in a, some simple way so that you know you've got a target and then paying attention. Does this really feel like it's automatic now? And the beautiful thing is when you make something automatic, you then can do the next thing and, add, and make it additive. Like you can do the one thing for longer or go on to the next habit that will really increase your happiness in your life.
1: You know, it, it's it's funny that you say this about that 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 next thing and sort of stretching it so you step into um going a little bit further and deeper into the next thing. One of the things that I notice about change is the worry about doing it right or um how you're doing it. Talk a little bit about that, about <laughs> stopping the worry.
3: Um you know what? I had a, a good friend who was on a panel and everybody was asking him questions about how do you get all your business? How do you do this? How, do you, how, 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 how? And he just said it as clearly as I can imagine it. It doesn't matter so much what you do or how you do it. It's that you do. Mm-hmm. And there's so much wisdom in simple victories. There's a guy named BJ Fogg. Um, he's a behavioral scientist at Stanford University. And he got 10,000 people to floss their teeth with this simple formula. After I brush my teeth, established habit, I will floss one tooth. One. And you're like, what? <laughs> and that's he's, great. Like, he's like, I wanted people to have victory. First off, if they you know go to the trouble of getting out the floss, really high chance that they will finish the job. But if not, that simple little victory, they get to line it up. It's like Seinfeld. They're lining up their exes. They're feeling momentum and they get to build on that. And that's a really powerful thing. A sense of accomplishment, no matter how small. It's what we would tell our kids, but yeah. we often don't take our own advice.
1: It's true, and you know we're really talking about the ROI, right? And, and we're going to oh. go to a break, and when we come back, let's talk more about the ROI of change. Really, um, to learn more about the book and Jay's work, please visit www. one and that's one the number the one thing. dot com. You can connect with Jay on Twitter at Jay papasan and on Facebook you can find him at Jay papasan, and he is using the hashtag the one thing. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise.
0: Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at at harvestinghappiness.com We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when... Or, I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We're continuing the conversation with
1: Jay Pappas on the co-author of The One Thing, The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results. Jay, prior to the break, we began chatting about the ROI of change. I mean, you've got to invest something in order to get something. And you mentioned uh, uh, about um, the Stanford doctor's research or invitation to his research group to floss just one tooth.
3: Right. And it's about the the small victories that add up over time. You know, I think there's this, you know, statement that I can't remember who said it, you know, people overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate the long term. And I would just flip that a little bit. I think people consistently overestimate how much they can accomplish in the next five months and underestimate how much they can accomplish in the next five years. And Adding up little victories, so that one tooth, that one tooth that becomes a habit, that you know, the flossing is a great example. There's a lot of research that shows short of like stopping taking harmful drugs or smoking, it's one of the most healthful things that you can do that could add as many as six years to your life. That simple wow. act of flossing your teeth. So we actually have a little section, it's my daughter's favorite, where we describe what we call as lining up your dominoes, because we've all done that, right? You knock over one domino and a whole bunch fall down. And we found some really fun research that suggests that, well, it didn't suggest it. It proved that a two-inch domino can knock over a three-inch domino, and a three-inch domino can knock over a -a four-and-a-half-inch domino. So not only can it do many things, it can do more, progressively more. And so when you build on those little dominoes, that two-inch dominoes, and you grow at that rate that physics have proven to do, by the 18th domino, you can knock over one as tall as the Leaning Tower. By the 23rd, as tall as the Eiffel Tower. By the 31st, it would be 3,000 feet above Everest, and then by the 57th, it could reach all the way to the moon. And it would just be the simple process of lining up those dominoes and making progressive steps forward. And I think that's the real secret of success, is people want it to happen fast, but if you just dig in, do the thing that's most important day in and day after, you're going to get results. I mean, it's the tortoise and the hare over and over again. That classic just keeps coming back.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the list making is really important. You, you you talk about setting the reminders, which I'm a big fan of because it pops up and I know that I've got to do this or be there. Um, but also that list that you, you get the satisfaction of creating the, the brain dump on a list. Then as you complete the tasks, you know, progressively crossing them off, which I find is always hugely satisfying. And, <laughs> you know, and then I have to start over again. But at least I have this sense of accomplishment that I'm getting through those items.
3: That's so true, for especially for knowledge workers. You know, you go to work, you you work yourself up into a lather, and it's really hard to quantify what you actually got done. You know, inbox zero, what does that matter? Because tomorrow it's going to be full again. So um, we actually did a slight variation on the to-do list. We call it a success list. So building on the same principle we talked about earlier, if you just take three minutes, it really doesn't take any longer. And you look at your to-do list and ask the question, if I could only do one thing today, such that by doing it, everything else will be easier and necessary, what would that thing be? Almost everyone knows pretty much what that answer should be. Well, that becomes your number one on your new list. And then you follow that process. Well, if I could get two things done, what would be number two? If I could get three things, right? And usually people go from a lot of things that they could do to a few things in the order of priority that they should do. And then I always say is start with number one, folks. Just start with number one and see how your days don't change.
1: Many years ago, we interviewed um, the author of the, a book about the uh, Pomodoro, you know, the tomato timer. Oh, yeah, and, the
3: 20-minute intervals.
1: Yes. Uh, I, and I find that this is another tool that works really well because you would be surprised, our listeners would be surprised, how much you can get done in 20 minutes if you clock it.
3: And it's sustainable. Like, you can really focus hard for a good 20, 25 minutes. Take five minutes to walk around the office or check your email, and then you can go back down for another round. So it's kind of a sprint, like a series of sprints, and it works really effectively. There's a lot of research. So I love the Pomodoro um, in the sense that I know what my next task is, and it's really important, and I essentially do that for things like email. I give myself a 30-minute run in the morning, a 30-minute run at noon, and a 30-minute run at the end of the day, because I know if I give it more time, it'll take more time. But if I say I've only got 30 minutes and I've got my little countdown timer going on my computer, it's like a race and I get incredibly efficient. It's like the day before vacation when just you get really focused and get a lot of shift done.
1: Yep. You know, it's, it's funny when the timer is on, we do step up our pace. You know, we we rise to the occasion, which I think is the point of how change happens. You know, um, it's not enough to set the goal. It's about actually actioning the goal. It's about doing something different, not just thinking about it.
3: I, I agree with that completely. I would just add one extra fun layer for a lot of us. If we ever can stop and ask the question, why? Why is this important for me and my family? A lot of times when people connect a future outcome to what they're doing, that daily grind, it gives them a lot more satisfaction for knocking those things out hey, I'm building my own business or I'm working for that promotion or I'm earning money so that we can take that vacation or whatever it is that your motivation, sometimes connecting those dots gives people even more focus and it's even more satisfying. They can connect the dots between why they're doing it every single day.
1: The why is hugely important, you know, to, to, to know why you're doing what you're doing. And if you don't have a good why, then maybe that's part of the agenda here, you know, to figure <laughs> out what, you know, what that big motivator is that, that gets you up in the morning and, and makes what you do worth doing.
3: Yeah, it, it's challenging for some people when you ask them, so what is your one thing? Right. What is it? Why, why were you put on this earth? What do you think your calling is? And I think people maybe put too much effort into like getting it so dialed in they could tattoo it on their arm tomorrow. <laughs> um, I usually tell people, you know what, if you really love working with people or you really love working with kids or you really work, love working with spreadsheets, pick a direction that you already know you have some passion for and start exploring. And usually the clarity comes in the journey. It's not like you can just go sit in your closet on your yoga mat and do some alms and it just comes to you. That, that doesn't actually happen in real life. That only happens in the movies. But pursuing something is often allows you to eliminate it. Or pursue it further and really discover what your passions are, and that often leads to that that why statement. Why am I here? What's my one thing? And when people connect the dots, man, they're unstoppable.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree with you. And and the you know asking that question and then actioning it, it's going to me. It's it always goes back to the action. So from the why becomes the how, and then from the how becomes the do.
3: Yes, and then you get the feedback loop of your results. Did this advance the cause? Did I enjoy doing it? Does my family enjoy me doing it, right? You get that feedback loop and that often creates the tailwind for you. You know, it's like you're on a diet and nothing's happening and you're sure you're gaining weight even though you feel miserable every time you sit down to eat. And then like three weeks later, someone says, wow, you've lost weight, right? That is like that moment of affirmation when the results kick back and it gives you renewed vigor to keep doing what you want to do.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the art and power of saying no.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, our book is about saying yes to one thing, right? When you really say yes to one thing, um, you kind of have to say no to everything else. And there are times in our life when we really clear about our commitment to things. I remember, um, this is a double negative, when I said yes to not smoking, right? There were many times that I tried. But the time that I actually made that commitment, I knew it was different from the very beginning. Um, I remember when I said I do to my wife. I knew that we would look up and saying yes to her meant I was saying no to everyone else. Now, I know we could go into the divorce statistics, but thankfully, 18 years later, we're still that yes is still holding. But I think we don't make those kind of yeses more often because when we do, the no's actually come easily. But in the in the workplace, it's an art form. How do we say no to our coworkers, to our bosses, without them hearing the word no? So I'll give you just one hack that I've learned, because I'm an employee. I have businesses, but I'm also an employee. And if the CEO walks by and hands me an assignment, 99 times out of 100, if you ask, when do you want it done, what are they going to say? Yesterday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they're <laughs> urgent people. So yeah. you, won. you never ask that. You set a time in the future. Hey, would next Tuesday be okay for you? What? How about a week from Thursday? I, next Tuesday is my go-to, right? It's just a default. I know that I have at least a weekend and a Monday to get to it, right? Yeah. And so I push it in the future. And 99 times out of 100, they just want to know that you're responsible for it. And if yeah. you are taking responsibility for the task, they don't really care when it gets done, just that it is done. And they don't have to think about it anymore. So – Try saying no, now, yes, later with other people in your life. We do it with our kids. Hey, honey, I will do that with you in 30 minutes, or we'll do that after dinner time. We say yes in the future, which allows us to stay focused now. And that just simple twist, like you don't have to say no. You have to say yes later.
1: Yes. So you say yes artfully.
3: Yes. It takes a little <laughs> practice, right? It does. Hey, how it about does. next week? How about next Tuesday? Would that work for you? And most people are just happy to get the commitment, and they don't even ask you what you're doing now, right?
1: Well, we all love being yesed.
3: The, yeah. you know,
1: we, all, we all love the yes, dear, not just from our partners, from our, our, our husbands and wives, but fr- from others around us. Yeah, I love being told yes. I mean, it makes me smile. We are almost out of time. Maybe you'll come back.
3: Oh, anytime, anytime. Oh, yes.
1: Is that like a is that like a yes next Thursday or like yes, yes, real yes?
3: <laughs> you know what? It is a, a yes as soon as we schedule it on that doesn't conflict with my writing. How about that?
1: How about that? No, no. There's no urgency. I'm just delighted to talk with you because I think the book, the one thing, the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results, resonates with our listener. Resonates with all of us who are out there working RRY, our, our and then needing to get to the how. To learn more about Jay Papasan and his work, please visit the website, www.theonething.com. And it's the number one on Twitter at Jay Papasan and on Facebook, Jay Papasan. And he is using a hashtag of the one thing. Jay, you've been a delight. Come back and hang out with me.
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, pleasure. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing guest today, Liz Weissman and Jay Papasan, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job.
0: Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on TokiNet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa LisaKamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.